Have you ever had a time when you felt that your life was utterly dark? It may have lasted a few days, it may have lasted a few months, or even years. It, it could be that you're in the midst of such a time now. St. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul. And it's not just to do uh, with going through a really tough time. We can experience the most difficult situations without it being a dark night of the soul. All kinds of things can happen to us in life. We can experience bereavement, financial uncertainty, ill health, or even persecution. But during those times, we can feel close to God, comforted, supported, and strangely positive. If we're in a good place with God, or to put it crudely, if internally our soul is in a good place, then the external stuff, the stuff that's happening to us, can be much easier to deal with. But if we're facing tough situations and we feel utterly alone, abandoned by God and by everyone else, if we feel hopeless and depressed, and, and depression is like an all-consuming darkness, Winston Churchill called it his black dog. If that's how we're feeling on the inside and we're facing seemingly insurmountable problems, well, that could be described as a dark night of the soul. And we might be tempted to think that Christians shouldn't feel this way. We say having a relationship with Christ brings us tremendous joy, and it does. We say joy is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, and it is. But to think that Christians can't get depressed, anxious, fearful, and disillusioned is naive. It's naive and it's at odds with the witness of scripture, especially Psalm 88. And, and if we think like that, if we think that Christians can't have periods of darkness, then we'll feel uh, guilty and defeated and, and deficient as and when those things happen. And instead of reaching out to our brothers and sisters in Christ, we'll put a brave face on it. Uh, we'll pretend that we're full of the joy of the Lord when really we're not. We'll put a big smile on our face when inside we're crying. You know, there's nothing worse than spurious grinning. We need to be real with each other. But Christianity in the Western world is a bit naive. We're often led to believe that coming to Christ will solve all our problems. At, at the extreme end of the scale, there's the prosperity gospel, which promises health, wealth and success to those who lead a good Christian life, and especially those who give generously. Well, Psalm 88 must be an embarrassment to those who preach that kind of gospel. It is the most desperate prayer in the Psalter, in the book of Psalms. There are a lot of Psalms of lament, Psalms that point out all that is wrong with the world, but they usually finish on a more positive note. They offer hope at some point. Psalm 88 on the other hand, is one of the only psalms that seems devoid of all hope. The only positive verse is the first one, which says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. But this is followed by a desperate cry from one who has no sense of God's presence, someone who has repeatedly cried out to God only to be met with stony silence. There's a recurring theme of darkness in this psalm. It's mentioned three times and darkness literally has the last word, not in our translation, but in the original Hebrew, the final word 
is darkness. So why is a psalm like this even in the Bible? For what purpose? Well, firstly, it gives us a reality check. Uh, Let's just take a moment to work through the contents of this psalm. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 are a desperate plea for help. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. In other words, won't you just listen to me? And then in verses 3 to 5, we find a series of I statements. I am overwhelmed with troubles. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. The the, the psalmist is saying, I'm in a really bad way here. And then at the end of verse 5, he says, you've forgotten about me. You've, You've cut me off. I've got no sense of your presence. And you can almost feel the frustration and the desperation building because in verses six to eight, the psalmist makes a series of accusations. You have put me in the lowest pit. You have overwhelmed me. You have taken from me my closest friends. He's saying, you've done this to me, God. This is your fault. And then verses 10 to 12, these are really interesting. The the psalmist believes that he's close to death. And if he dies, then God will have missed the chance to be glorified through him. He's saying, if you let your people die in this wretched, miserable state, then who will praise you? And how will the world know about your glory and your goodness and your power and your majesty? Within the psalm, there's an ever-present threat of death, but also the fear of death. The the, the psalmist uh, seems to believe that death will separate him from God. And then verses 13 to 14 are another uh, desperate plea. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? The psalmist feels death because he, or fears death, I should say, because he feels that he's been rejected by God. And finally, we come to verses 15 to, uh, well, verses 15 to 18, which are antagonistic to say the least. From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I'm in despair. The psalmist is saying, you're always out to get me. You just want to stuff up my life. Isn't it shocking to hear someone speaking to God like this in the Bible? And the final verse says, darkness is my closest friend. And you can imagine him lying in a bed in complete darkness and and saying, 